on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there, welcome aboard. Coming up on The Big Fish this week, fisherwoman Nadia Taylor smashing the flatties on soft plastics on the Clarence at Yamba and she's found a very rare lure. Stinker has a close look at the tweed and from the far north to the south, New South Wales Fisheries Manager Luke Pearce is a special guest at a big Ozfish Unlimited event this Thursday night in Wagga Wagga to highlight the high-tech habitat mapping work being done on that great native fishery, the mighty Murrumbidgee. It's all coming up on this edition of The Big Fish. It's the big fish, and Nadia Taylor is just obsessed with fishing. She loves fishing and had a dream trip to Yamba. You may remember last time we spoke about Nadia's fantastic houseboat fishing adventure on the mighty Hawkesbury. Well, she's gone to another one of our great river systems, the the fabulous Clarence, which is just spectacular. And she walked into the the little local tackle shop with her fishing buddy, her partner for life, and she got so excited she got a stiffy. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. How are you? I didn't think they still made them, but Bushy's famous whiting popper lure, they're very hard to get, and you found them there in the tackle shop. Is that right? That is exactly right. That's what happened, Scott. And let me tell you, I was shocked. I did a double take and I even had to get the hubby over to have a look to make sure I wasn't dreaming. Look at that. It's a stiffy. It's a bushy stiffy. They they are a wonderful lure. And I went back through our archives and had a listen to Bushy on how to fish the lure that he created. It's a cup face popper. And uh, we spoke about how to fish the walking the dog lures with that sort of shake and wiggle of the, the wrist and the elbow, uh, which is quite hard on the old uh, tennis elbow, actually, and how to fish the, 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 the popper, the stiffy popper. And he said, for the whiting, you want a continuous spray. Use a heavy leader, sort of 10 to 20. It doesn't matter. He said, you can use 20 pound if you're around the, the oyster racks. And a yeah, continuous... Yeah, make sure that leader's a bit stiffer for the, for the oyster racks. That's right. And pop, 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 pop. Don't stop. And make sure you're getting a spray off the cup face, shooting out to the sides and out in front of the lure. Continuous spray. And that just drives the whiting ape. When you get a oh. brim, brim take on it, you've got to stop it. And that's the hard bit. You've got to listen for the suck of the whiting and know the difference between a, a brim buff and a whiting hit. And, and that's uh, how you fish the stiffy. But they're, they're hard to find these days. You, you must have been in heaven when you found them uh, in, uh, in the tackle shop. I can tell you, I was, it was, they're impossible to find. And I, I really love you talking about um, that episode with Bushy. I'm going to have to go back through the um, older episodes and find uh, some of those tips that uh, I'm because I've pretty much self-taught on the stiffy. So... Um, yeah, I can tell you, because we went into the tackle shop. You always go into tackle shops when you're on holidays, and, you know, I always search, you know, a bit of a tackle rat, to be honest. You know? <laughs> and um, I went in, it was like my birthday sort of uh, trip that we went on, and, of course, you know, we've got to go to the local tackle shop, do support local. And, and, and you get that great of... you get that great info, too. Spend a few, Bob, and they, they give you gold. Do they know what's going on? 
That's right. And, you know, it's actually very rare that tackle shop actually had a woman um, serving, you know, which is always rare in a bit of a tackle shop. And she gave us some nice little spots that we went to and caught some flatheads. Oh, you reckon you, reckon you had the, the, the female mafia working and, and you um, <laughs> she gave you a few extra spots, do you? had on the shelf because I tell you something when I was looking down those lures and all of a sudden I saw the bunch of stiffies that were there I was just like uh uh and I was sort of sort of second guessed it and I blinked and they were still there so <laughs> I had to get the husband over and go hey these things are right in front of me and because it wasn't just one or two either Scott there were 19 there 19 I reckon were- you probably bought the lot Right. <laughs> I literally just went whoop. All of them went straight into my trolley. So. <laughs> That's great. That's great. They are a wonderful popper. But that tip was really gold to me because I was doing a lot of walk the dog uh, poppering for whiting, and they the whiting like that more constant movement. But with the stiffy, they love if you keep that water spraying off the cup face quite aggressively and showering. Uh, that really turns them on. When that stops, they tend to, to, to back off. You know, they're chasing it, and you've got to entice them to strike. And getting that constant pop, 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 and the water spray, 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 spray was the, yeah. real, the real tip, the real trick. Um, oh, I, I can't wait to get out on the water and try it myself, to be honest with you, because, you know, I did the, um, the usual thing with your poppers and, you know, sort of, sort of running them with some pauses over those... Um, uh, you know those tricky sort of snaggy spots where I, where some uh, whiting may have been, and uh, I would have loved that tip. So I'm, I can't wait to get back on the water and try it. To yeah, be but honest. the, the so, funny thing is, when you stop it and let it sit in the water, that's when the brim will smash it. Um, yes. But you've got plenty of sand flats around George's River where you chase the whiting, so it may not exactly. be too may not be too late actually. For I think you're replicating a prawn, and the water's still warm. Uh, we've had it a is. had a bit of a late summer, haven't we? So maybe they'll still. Uh, elicit those surface strikes. So, how did you go on the the mighty Clarence at, at Yambo? Did you uh, go land based or in a boat? We did a bit of both. So, where we were staying at uh, at Yamba, we were in these um, lovely little apartments that had its own private jetty, and it was actually went out to quite deep water. So, um, we were very lucky there, and we could just cast off and cast into even deeper water, and um, we were pretty successful. I was always, you know. The big mama flatties are all around at the moment um, in that area. So we, we actually caught saw um, someone catch, you know, a 90 centimetre, which excited me. No oh, wow. It. What a beautiful but fish. Was, yeah, it was, it was just beautiful to see him in the system because you know that um, it's a healthy system if, if you're pulling those one over. She was just a beautiful specimen too. Yeah, that's so, a, um, an absolute trophy. Of course, has to be caught and released these days over that 70 centimetre slot limit. Got to go back. They got to go back, and indeed she went back. And uh, but it's just always, you know, you may. If I see other people catching fish, it excites me even more. So um, I was, you know, doing some solid casting off the jetty there. We caught some, you know, anywhere. We've caught some small ones. We caught some medium ones. We didn't really catch anything over around fifty. Um, but um, we also um, hide a, a tinny from the marina there as well and uh, went for a little putter into more sort of, um, you know, where the oyster leases and everything was like that. We caught some brim, which was beautiful, more flatties. <laughs> but I could catch flatties out. They're just so much fun to catch, especially if you're using some light gear with some heavier leader. Um, but they are just so much fun. So well, you're catching the right size, size eating ones too. They're 36 centimetres is the... The, the lower end and, and 70 centimetres is the upper end. So, you know, getting them uh, in that sort of 40 centimetre range, 50 centimetre range is perfect eating size. 
Oh, they're perfect to eat. Um, it's just that, you know, you've always got that unicorn that you want to catch, and mine is I want to catch a big, big one. <laughs> so, yeah. What's your biggest okay. What's your biggest so far? Um, my biggest so far hasn't been that big, so it's only been 78 centimetres is my biggest flatty that I've caught to date. So it's still big, don't get me wrong, but I want to catch, um, if I had caught one in the 90s, I think I might have, you know, keeled over <laughs> two two things on the same trip to find a stiffy and to, to catch a 90 centimetre. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be doing this interview, you might have been having to come to my funeral. Or whatever. You'll get one, you'll get one one day. <laughs> Those big girls are immense and it's great that they're let go because an 80 or 90 centimetre fish is around 10 or 12 years old, according to uh, New South Wales Fisheries. So, you know, we're just going to get so many more flathead now that we're letting the big breeders go. And when you see some underwater footage of them too, the, the, the little males lie all around the females when they're, they're spawning. And uh, they might have, you know, five or six males sort of lying on top of them. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, in, in, so you can catch those males. It doesn't really worry. But the bigger the female, the more eggs. And surely it's going to relate to more flathead. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's the, a lot of people may be a bit sad about not being able to take a, a good feed home with a big flatty, but on the other side, you'll have plenty of uh, more flatties to catch underneath that, that size limit. So it's, it's one of those things that you get excited about thinking that there are more of these beautiful fish in our systems because they're just such great value. They really are. You know, they're underrated in the sense of um, the fight they give. I always find that, you know, flatties, the smallest flatty, I can catch, you know, a 20 centimetre flatty that fights harder than a lot of other fish. Yeah, so that's great. Good fun. And, and take us through where you fished and, and what you did. And because this is great for the average fish owner listening to this. I'm sure all of those locals up on the Clarence, you know, they've, they've got all their spots and they've got it all wide and worked out. But you're a, a visitor and this is what a lot of our listeners do, rock up at a caravan park or a holiday unit and then try to catch a flathead and, and you've been very successful. Take us through where you fished and what you did. Yeah, sure. So, um, look, there are a lot of jetties and, and to be honest with you, where we stayed in uh, Yamba was right next to the boat ramp on, um, it's essentially before you get into town, that boat ramp that's right next to the fisherman's co-op sort of thing. So, where we were staying was pretty much close to the boat ramp and I know that um, a lot of the people that I fished with have said the same thing, that they've caught plenty of fish around boat ramps. You don't always need to go out into, you know, with a with a boat and, and catch some good fish. So literally where we were staying was on that side of Yamba, so as you're coming into town rather than, you know, the main 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 um, drag of Yamba. It's on Yamba Road. So there are a few jetties there that are available for the public as well, not just the private ones, and all of them go quite in deep so so long as you bring with yourself some selections of, of some lures so I've always got soft plastics in different colors I've got you know different variety of jig heads different weights you know you don't have need to have a, a huge tackle box just a couple of different options you know what I mean so what sort um, of uh, t- tell us about how you would select a jig head and the type of water that it suits sure well with jig heads um, it's one of those things that it depends on um, what's around you in the sense of what's the wind like, you know, is, is it a really windy day? Would the, you know, is the current moving quickly? Because you want to get that lure, especially for flathead, all the way down to the bottom. So if it is a bit of a windy day, because you've got to wait for that lure to sort of, you know, flutter down to the bottom, because I don't want that lure moving around too much too. I want to have a bit of control, control there and I don't want it to be dragged. So I always say that the, the, the heavier the current or the, the way the current's moving really fast, you need a heavier jig head. Um, 
You can have the same size hook, but are just a heavier weight on your jig head. Even if you have, um, you know, sort of weedless or whatever, you can always put just a heavier sinker on the front of that, you know. Um, so it's just having that little bit of extra weight that you need to get to the bottom in a reasonable amount of time because otherwise it's just going to be floating off in the distance without much weight to it. So um, that's how I always think. You always give it a go. If it doesn't work, because you can feel it, sort of how quickly it goes down when you've cast it. You know, you can feel that that jig head sort of sinking. If you feel like it's moving and it's not getting to the bottom, you know that you need to put something slightly heavier on there. Or, or just fish it really slowly. If you don't have a heavier jig head, then you've got to be really slow to make sure it's down in that strike zone yeah. and be a bit, little, little bit be more patient. subtle. Be yeah. patient because it will, go, it will get down there, but you just have to wait for it to flood it down if you don't have anything heavier in your tackle box. Um, I like to fish as light as possible. You know, I don't mind fishing a bit light, especially with gear, because I think that the lighter you go, the more success you get. Um, but it's just more so, you know, if you're going to wait for it on a lighter jig head, you just wait for that jig head to sort of flood it down. Don't get too impatient with it, because down the bottom, especially with flathead, that's where they're going to be. They're not going to be midwater or top water unless it's shallow. So, um, you know, and then, you've, you know, you're going to um, fish the surface. So um, for me, just be patient with your jig head if it's not, you know, always have some options available. Uh, you know, if I'm just fishing the banks and I'm just taking a little tackle box, I'll just take, you know, a couple of lighter ones and a couple of heavier ones just for options, just in case. And do you prefer a, a paddle tail or a or a... A regular tail, what uh, style of soft plastic? Because we won't get it. You know, all the brands have similar sorts of designs, don't they? They with the, do. With the fish paddle tail or the, the, the regular tail or just the, uh, the sluggo type tail. What do you prefer? I prefer a regular. However, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always prefer a regular on a soft plastic. I'll always grab that one first. But one thing about soft plastics that I've learned, if it's not working, change it up. So I could use a Wriggler, you know, and a lot of people um, would know I'm a bit of a Squidgies fan. I love a Bloodworm Wriggler. I find that sort of catches a lot of, uh, you know, that 100 mil Bloodworm uh, Wriggler. It works really loves. well, yeah. I like it in the uh, the, the, the green with the, the the speckly flecks through it, you know, the silvery. Oh, yes. that, That's a really yes. good colour too. But they, that's they, a good colour too. You fish and those quite... Other, the pink glitz one is a really oh, good one. Yeah. It's that light pink one nah, with that's, really shimmery stuff That's in Bushy's, Bushy's invention too. Um, it is. I do, Bushy and Stalo. <laughs> I, I do like that, that regular tail in the, the squidgy as well, the 100 mil, perfect, and, and not a huge plastic. You, you just fish it pretty subtly. You don't rip it too much, do you? You just let it waft no. up and down. Absolutely, and um, I always imagine what it would look like. Like I always sort of fish it up the top of the water and see how it moves so that I can replicate what I would, be, you know, what's the best option, see how it swims in the water so you can imagine it down on the bottom. Um, because if it looks like a dying bait fish and you, you've got that action, and the biggest tip I can give you with fishing any soft plastic is the pauses. That's when they're going to eat it. So on the way down, <laughs> it's one thing, it's a trap. If you're fishing a soft plastic, you flick it out, be ready, because it could be grabbed on the so way we'll down. Watch the braid. You've got to you know, just oh. take in enough slack to, to see the, the braid, and you'll see that braid zip away. You won't feel the take because they love to hit it on the way exactly. down, and that's exactly. when you need to, to tighten in as quick as you can. But, uh, yeah, it's a, a fantastic method of fishing and so easy. It's not stinky. Uh, you know, you can put, put what you need in your pocket, basically. 
it's fantastic. And, you know, I always have uh, a couple of different options, but I do, and that's what I was saying, saying, however, I'll always go a regular first. However, let me tell you, there have been times where, especially with flatties, they don't want the regular, they'd want the, uh, the paddle tail. So you've got to change it up. It's not it, what will work for you on one day perfectly and in that colour that worked won't work for you the second day with the same conditions. You've got to have a, a plan B, always up your sleeve. And, and also you can buy the ones that are, are pre-rigged with the, the internal weighting system. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, threading that uh, soft plastic onto the hook and getting the right size jig head as well if you're really uh, lazy, you just buy the a few different sizes in the ones that are pre-weighted and, and pre-rigged. Oh, they're easy as. I know that um, a lot of brands do that. They have that uh, pre-rigged um, sort of... Uh, that's that's fine. That's great. Anything that gets people into fishing or giving soft plastics a go, I'm all for because, you know, all my... Um, and we, my uncle, who we actually saw when we were up there... Um, didn't have a fish with him, but he's actually uh, sort of coming around to the soft plastic. It's taken years because he's a bait fisher. And let me don't get me wrong, we use bait on the boat when things aren't working up or whatever. You know, you can chuck a bit of bait on there, no problems. But um, it's all about giving things a go and, and having a bit of fun with your fishing. When I first tried soft plastics, I wouldn't get much success. But if you watch, there's so many tutorials online now these days where you just give it a little sort of, you know, little sort of a jig, you know, one, two not these big sort of uh, jigs, just a little sort of tap-tap up and then mm. just let it go down, let it swim down, be patient with it and uh, try and use, like I'm a big fan of, of, of um, F-Factor as well. Um, I think that that's, for me, the best part of, uh, <laughs> or the best scent that you can get on the market. Yeah, Bushy um, calls it the secret sauce. It is secret <laughs> sauce, let me tell you. And I know that I've uh, I've told Steve as well that it's it's it, it does wonderful things um, to 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 your fish. And yeah. um, we've it's actually funny because my uncle that I mentioned before he was fishing bait um, up at Foster, and uh, he was getting nothing, and no one was getting anything. And he actually ended up putting S Factor on the piece of bait that he was using <laughs> a bit of chicken fillet, and guess what? Bang! Flathead the next minute. <laughs> So uh, it stuff. does work and will for us anyway. And um, so if you, you know, because soft plastics are plastic. So if you can increase your chances with a bit of nice little tasty scent, um, you can use anything, give it a go, see if it works Yeah, a bit of, bit of tuna oil as well is, is fine. We're speaking with Nadia Taylor, our fisherwoman supreme, who's just had a great trip to the Clarence. How far up river did you get? You're around the mouth there at Yamba. How far exactly, up river did you get? Yeah. So we went up to some, um, we did uh, find some lovely little oyster leases um, up there. So that was really, really good. And we sort of hung around there because we were trying to catch some nice big brim. Um, so for me, um, especially when I'm fishing, things like the Clarence, I, I love my estuary fishing. That's my favourite because I, I want to catch big fish of those, you know, I'd love to catch a stonker of a brim. That for me is another one of my unicorns. So um, we just sort of hung around there and uh, and saw what we could could get no no um whiting unfortunately were, were scored i would love to catch a whiting there's so much fun on the surface especially but um but equally so i didn't try that beautiful bushy technique i didn't know about until now so i can't <laughs> wait to go back and, and give there it you go, go. that'll work George's on your george's river. george's river yes that'll work on the on the sand flats there that drives them crazy some of the coastal lagoons too are great narrabeen and they're great spots for whiting as as well uh, and try that method they they go berserk for it uh, it really is great well thanks for sharing your uh, estuary lure techniques it sounds like you had a terrific 
time in, in Yamba and spent a bit of money in the tackle shop and came away with uh, some rare lures. Absolutely. And if anybody ever wants to get rid of any of their bushy lures, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I know a lot of people buy them and hang them on the wall, some of his handcrafted ones, but oh, I don't think he'd like are. that. Get, get them in the water and, and catch a fish with them. He, he whittles them in the shed out the back there at Pambula. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good fellow, Bushy, and he knows his stuff. It's great that you're having so much fun with your fishing, Nadia. Tight lines, we'll catch you next time on The Big Fish. Thank you, Scott. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Take me where the whiting are biting And the flathead are lazing in the sand With an esky and a ten-foot tinny Leave me up a river somewhere Heaven's up an estuary A river or a creek Your best mate and some two-stroke Enough to last a week A yabby pump, a crab pot And your favourite fishing gear And don't forget your stubby holder To hold your yummy beer Take me where the whiting abide him And the flathead are lazing in the sand Esky and a ten-foot tinny And I'll be up a river somewhere No need to get too serious Just relax, that's the plan You can have your lures and plastics I'm an old bait man Mullet gut and prawns Rotten in the midday sun A piscatorial perfume Only appreciated by some Let's go where the whiting are biting Blowing themselves up They need to sit on Sawtell Beach And watch the sun come up I guess we take for granted This wild and beautiful land So let's celebrate our freedom And enjoy it while we can Let's go where the whiting are biting And the flathead are lazing in the sand With an esky and a ten-foot tinny I'll be up a river somewhere Yes, leave me up a river somewhere It's the big fish, and the Clarence might be full of flathead, but Stinker reckons the tweed is being loved to death. That's coming up next. He's particularly worried about the numbers of jet skis using the little estuary 
The Terranora Lakes is a raceway, a racetrack, and reckons that it's a disaster waiting to happen. He also reckons the waterway isn't a shadow of its former fishing glory, and we'll uh, explore that with longtime Tweed local stinker. Uh, there are still some fish to be caught, though, and if you're very cagey and clever, you might tangle with the elusive, hard-fighting and delicious-eating mangrove jack. We'll share some of Stinker's unconventional mangrove jack tactics and techniques. Up next on The Big Fish with you, and we'll also catch up with uh, New South Wales Fisheries Manager Luke Pearce, who's a special guest at the big Ozfish Unlimited event at Wagga Wagga this Thursday night, looking at some groundbreaking research on the Murrumbidgee that will help you catch and release more native fish. On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find him? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Hey, good day, Scott. How are things going on the tweet? Have you been on the water yet? Oh, I certainly have been. I, I've been up here for a week, and it's a change of lifestyle. It's like dropping back a gear. After all the excitement that I've had in Port Stephens over the past month with some of the best snapper fishing I've ever experienced, um, it was time for us to come and have a break up in the north. So off we go, and I've been here now quite a few days. I've had an opportunity to get out on the punt, see all the boats here where around where I live up on the on the uh, Terranora Inlet up into the Terranora Lakes that um, they're all punts, flat bottom boats because the water up there is very shallow and and what about laws when it comes to to chasing blue swimmers? Uh, have you been putting a few pots out? What are you allowed to do there? Oh yeah, well, it's the same as anywhere in New South Wales. Really, I mean, what can you have? Um, you can have four uh, witches hats. You can have two two um, traps. It, it, it's, it's different from Port Stephens because in Port Stephens you can't have any witches hats because um, of the turtle uh, population. And I notice there's one or two turtles in the Tweed River too, but nothing like in Port Stephens. So up um, on the Tweed, you can still use a witch's hat and most other areas in New South Wales. New South Wales is the only state in Australia that you're permitted to use witch's hats. Uh, all the other states um, have banned them. Yeah, It's very strange, isn't it? We're, we're uh, you know, such pariahs when it comes to looking after turtles in estuaries. And uh, anyway, you, you set the example on the, um, on the Port Stephens waterways that you can still catch plenty of blue swimmers without uh, harming the turtles so maybe they'll eventually fall into step with the, the science and, and um, realise that these things are a threat to the turtles. Is that what you hope? Oh 
Now, that's what you'd expect, <laughs> but it doesn't always happen. <laughs> that, to me, is logical and common sense, but that doesn't always uh, turn into action. But, oh, look, the, the Tweed River, I'm concerned for the Tweed. I was lucky through the week to meet some old Tweed people. To, to bump into people that have lived on the Tweed all their life is getting increasingly difficult. And so when I do, I love to talk about how it used to be and and how the fishing was and and what places looked like before the influx. And jet skis, oh, gee, the problems that are on the Tweed. Well, unfortunately, everything that the jet skis are doing on the Tweed is, is legal. I mean, the, the speed that they go and the numbers on the waterways have just turned the Tweed River into basically a jet ski. The um, racing track. I, I, I don't know, but I just remember the Tweed as being the most beautiful um, river that you catch plenty of fish, and it was always peaceful. But now it's just it's just gone crazy. And the, the old ones I was talking to said, "Oh, look, um, of course the fishing is absolutely nothing like it used to be," and I've noticed that already. But with this, um, I, what I'll do, I'll set my crab traps. Then I'll go up and dig some yabbies. I'll dig a, um, a plenty of yabbies, and then I'll just anchor up in the um, lake system on the first of the run-in or the last of the run-out, and I'll target big whiting, and I hope to get... If I get two or three or even four fish, I'm happy because there's only the two of us um, and a couple of crabs. Well, that's a good day out for And me. How, how did you go? What was in your traps? Oh, yeah, well, I've only set the trap over one night. I put two traps out. I got nothing in one, and that, was, and that was the first trap I pulled up, and that was a bit miserable, but then I got five crabs in the second trap. So that, and they were a bit, bit small. They were legal. Gee, illegal crab's small, isn't it? Well, anyway, you've got to put them on the measure, and, and uh, still a feed. I mean, it depends on how much oh, yeah. meat's in them, too. Oh, yeah, well, I'll get a little bit of a more, not so much a feed, but a bit of a pick. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, so there is some life in the Tweed River, but I really do think it needs to be a totally analysed by New South Wales fisheries. Have a look at all the problems, speak to the locals, talk about, you know, how we can sort of bring it back to life, um, find out what what the locals think. And really, and not only the Tweed River, I'd like to see that, a full analysis taken on all um, river systems. Like the, the, Port Stephens is entirely different to the Tweed River, yet our, our um, rules and regulations, apart from crabs, are the same. Um, so I think each river needs to be searched through and work out just how does this river system function how, what are the fish population? Uh, are they healthy? Is there a future for them? Uh, you know, everything, a real analysis, a very deep analysis. And I guess the bottom line has to be sustainability, doesn't it, Stinker? For a start, look after the habitat. So there was great work there when the yabby beds were being destroyed by locals who fought and fought and, um, you know, came to a, a good arrangement there so the tourist operators could still operate but they weren't destroying the environment and the food that the fish need and the weed beds and the yabby beds and uh, the other thing is any recreational practices any commercial practices 
perhaps they need to look at them, as you say, and uh, see if they're sustainable. Is that what you, you would like to see, that each uh, you know, style of fishing or, or what's being done in that estuary, if it's overfished, is looked at and rules and regulations come in to make sure that we're fishing in a sustainable way? Of course. Every fisherman uh, I know wants that. I mean, the days of when you'd go out and flog the place are well and truly over. So now everyone, all fishermen that I know, um, are really concerned for the future and will will help, will work in that direction. So yeah, all we need is a bit of direction and we'll follow to make things, to improve things. I did see something in the paper this week, uh, in the Sydney paper, about um, the grain earth shark. Oh, dear me. There's another going to be another count of the brain earth shark. There's going to be another count. Um, well, the previous counts have been so inaccurate that they're not worth even taking any notice of. Now, I'll be most interested to know how many uh, grain earth sharks they find and where they look because a little bit of a, an advice to those who do intend to count them, you'll only count the ones that you can see. But with grainers, sharks, there's a hell of a lot of coastline and there's also a lot of deep water which won't be counted. So even the, to count grainers, sharks off the coast of New South Wales is, I think, an impossibility, to tell you the truth. Mm, in, interesting comments there. Maybe tracking and tagging, as they've been doing with, with bull sharks, would be um, a, a way to go. With Speaking with John Stinker-Clark, who's on the Tweed and Stinker, there has been a bit of life in there. You were saying that there, there's a bloom of bait fish. Oh, unreal. This gives me some hope. <laughs> this gives me some hope for the future because I was down at the entrance to the Eucre Bar Passage today and the amount of bait fish, what we call herring up here, oh, there was this massive... And the ospreys were into it and the shags, of course, and... And those with those long um, hooks, I don't know what you call them, dangling you with three or four hooks on them, you know. Oh, sabiki, sabiki rigs, the sabiki rigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one bloke had four on at the same time, and another guy, he was beside him, he had um, t- uh, two tailor. He got two tailor on it. But, <laughs> and they, they were in amongst the, the um, school of, of herring. But, and, but up here, up in the Tweed, they use the, the herring for brim, for flathead, for mulloway and mangrove jack. Right, and how do they, do they put, just put them straight on live or put them in a, in, a, in a bucket with an aerator or do they freeze them? What do they do with them? Well, those guys that I met, they said, well, we can catch a hundred of these, which is true. That's what you catch. From bait fish, you can catch a hundred. Well, they, they were well on their way to 100. And because all in the bucket, there's no oxygen. And, and they, I said, well, you're obviously not going to use them live. They said, no, what we do, we put them in ice cream buckets uh, and then cover them with water. We might put 30 in an ice cream bucket and cover it with water and then freeze it. So then that the, they, um, they don't suffer from freezer burn. And one they thaw out, they come out um, brand spanking new, and they're fantastic bait. Um, so it's, it's something that we don't experience in Port Stevens. We do not get this particular fish in Port Stevens, which um, 
was a bit of a shame because, gee, they're beautiful bait fish. Yeah, I wonder how they'd go on your beloved snapper, Stinker. Oh, gee, I reckon they'd be deadly. <laughs> I reckon that has to be deadly. You just put one, hook one through the shoulder and toss it out unweighted, and I reckon a snapper would go crackers if you saw one of those floating around. But, oh, look, the, the tweed, although it's very different and the, and the lifestyle is different, but up in the lakes, I can still find a place to go and get a bit of peace and quiet. And that's all I'm looking for, Scott, a little bit of peace and quiet. <laughs> all right, Stinker. Tight lines, mate. hope you get a big feed of whiting and some lovely blue swimmer crabs and, and everyone will be happy. Oh, by the yeah. way, what about land-based fishing there? Because you're right on the lake, um, you know, with the mango tree overhanging the, the water. What about land-based fishing? You been doing any good? Oh, oh, I've never told you about mango fishing, have I? Oh, well... This is something we've done for ages. I've got a tremendous mango tree, and few of the branches dangle at the back of our property, dangle out over the river. So what I do, I'll set a, a line uh, overnight, and I'll tie it onto the branch of the mango tree. And if I see the mango tree shaking, or oh, well, one of the one of the branches getting shaken, I thought, "Hello, I'm on here." So I just climb onto the into the mango tree and pull the fish in. I've got five mangrove jack that way. Uh, <laughs> so, so the good old mango tree, it, it's a jolly good angler. That's great. Mango jack, you could call them, and, and uh, eat edible ones, good good size? Oh, yeah. The Tweed Rivers get the, some of the best uh, mangrove jack along the coastline. I mean, if you have a look at where mangrove jack records are, it's out on the Brunswick and the Kingscliff Reef, which is directly out off the Tweed. And you get them there to 12 kilo, even larger, I think. I don't know. I think your record's about 14 kilo. Yeah, I think uh, have, the, a look, have a look at your records. I think the northern rivers have bigger mangrove jack than they actually do way up in the tropics where they're more common. Yeah, they do. And if you, if you hook one, oh, dear, I mean, you've got to be prepared. Otherwise, you've got no chance. I mean, I've lost a lot more than I've caught. Yeah, they've got that habit, those... Uh, the Janids, like the New Guinea black bass and, and the mangrove jack and the finger mark, to, to come out, look at your bait, and then take it on the way back into their lair. And that's when they do you. They hit it like a, a freight train. That, that's a, an incredible hit, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've really uh, got myself all rigged up ready, and then I've been hit, and I've still been beaten. No, they're, they're, they're tough cookies, but there are people that really target them and have worked out all their, their methods. And, oh, they're a beautiful table fish too. I think the snapper and the mangrove jack are my two favourite fish. All right. Well, you better get out to that mango tree and, and uh, tie a piece of line on and put one of those live herring out, Stinker. <laughs> oh, that would be deadly, <laughs> especially now with the big tides. I reckon that that would really produce something. You might pull the, might pull the, mangrove, <laughs> the mango tree out by the roots if you've got a good one. <laughs> Make sure to send us a photo of that. <laughs> Tight line, Stinker. Hey, Scott. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. It's The Big Fish and from New South Wales DPI Fisheries, Fisheries Manager Luke Pearce. Welcome back to the show, Luke. Morning, Scotty. Thanks for having me. You've got a big event coming up in Wagga Wagga with uh, Ozfish Unlimited. There's a fabulous angler there and you're talking about uh, the most important ingredient in catching fish habitat 
We sure are, Scott. Yeah, we've got a big project going on in the Murrumbidgee at the moment where we're mapping the habitat all the way from Wagga, all the way down to Hay in the Murrumbidgee. And this is um, a project that will um, give us a lot of information um, and allow us to target where we can improve and, and restore habitat. So essentially, you know, in the past, um, you know, when we've been looking at um, re- habitat rehabilitation or recovery projects, we kind of go in blind and we, you know, we're doing work where we think it should be done or where, you know, we've got, um, you know, landholders who want the work done or it's, it's a little bit um, hit and miss that this, this process where we go and map the habitat, we can actually target where the work is needed and where we'll get the most, um, I guess, bang for our buck and the, and the greatest improvement and hopefully see the greatest improvement in fish and fish numbers from that work. So we've got the team out at the moment. They're on the water in the boat. They're cruising down the Murrumbidgee and they're using sonar and, and GPS equipment to basically map every single snag, every single bank, all the vegetation, um, every rock and um, gives us a really, really detailed picture of the river, the depth of the holes, the substrate. So all of that detail is mapped and then we'll collate that and overlay, you know, where the fish are and what the fish communities are and then develop up a really specific and detailed plan about, you know, the best way to try and improve the habitat and improve our fish numbers in the Murrumbidgee. What a great idea. What about uh, underwater vegetation? Weed beds and things are, are mapped as well? Yeah, so we've got, um, you know, high-definition um, side-scanning sonar that, that maps all of the underwater snags and underwater structure and, and weed beds and rocks and, and gives us depth and pools. And also we can identify what the substrate is from that from that as well. Is so, it yeah. great to have an organisation like Ozfish Unlimited on board because they're uh, a, a, an army of volunteers along the Murrumbidgee who will then work in an organised, coordinated way to re-establish habitat once you've established where the need is. Absolutely, yeah. So we'll work, you know, once we've got this information and, and we've identified, you know, those key target and priority areas, we'll be working with groups like Ozfish and other groups like Landcare and the, and the local land services to develop up projects and implement, you know, works to improve those habitats and improve the fish communities in those areas where, where it's needed. So, yeah, fantastic to have Ozfish there and, and involved in this project. And, you know, they've got a bunch of active projects in that area at the moment. And, and um, once we have this information, we'll be able to, I guess, you know, develop up collaborative projects with them or, you know, just give them information about, you know, where they can you know, best have or have the best impact or the greatest impact and where they should be targeting their work. So, And, and what about the farmers along the Bidgee? Are they on board with this? Do they um, allow access so people can get in and, and uh, make their part of the river um, a healthier river? Does it also help with erosion and things like that? Yeah, so we're, we're working, you know, very closely with all the landholders along the way and giving us access and, and we've found them to be, you know, fantastic and really on board and, and, and cooperative in the process to date. And, um, yeah, we'll be, as part of the process, we'll be identifying areas where there's active erosion and where those, you know, those, um, I guess, high-need areas are and, and, you know, hopefully working with farmers to, you know, stabilise some of that erosion and, and address some of those key issues. So, yeah, the farmers have been... Fantastic to date, and um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to continue and, and build on those relationships and, and build some projects around that. And as the uh, New South Wales DPI Fisheries Manager for that area, you'll tell them where to catch them, but there's a bloke on the night in Wagga at the brewery on Thursday the 30th who'll tell them how to catch them. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, going to be a great night, um, and um, yeah, Leuven Pfeiffer will be there. Leuven is a really, uh, a really switched on angler and um, has caught more fish than you and I put together and could ever hope to catch. No. Yeah. 
he's an really? amazing that guy. Good? He's that good? Well, I don't know if he's that good. He, I think he just spends more time on the water than we, <laughs> than we do, mate. But, uh, yeah, super, super, um, super nice guy and, and a really accomplished fisherman in a number of fields. Like, he's, uh, he's an incredible cod angler and, you know, fishes in the Australian fly fishing team. And um, so a man after your own heart, Scotty. But, um, yeah. He'll be giving. Uh, I think he's mostly focusing on fishing for Murray Cod on on Thursday night next week, and and tips around you know lure selection and picking water and and how to target particularly those big fish because he's um yeah he's got a, a real um, knack at catching lots of big Murray Cod. So um yeah I'm really looking forward to hearing from him and um yeah getting some information out of him and adding that to the raft of information that I already have and hopefully improving my angling and catching some catching some more fish mate so yeah that'll be that'll be a great night and um yeah really valuable information i'm sure he'll he'll share with us on the night there's some great photos that that uh, lubin has uh, i've got a great one here that we'll put up on the big fish podcast when it goes up later in the week of of him really showing us how to hold one of these big fish too he hasn't taken it out of the water it's it's cradled in the water right next to the big snag that gives away their home or the habitat um, you know, he's using overhead gear too. He's pretty, pretty fair dinkum. And um, a, a big bibbed lure, big diving lure, one of those giant ones that uh, you can fish right through the snags using the, the bib to hop over the, the underwater obstacles. Um, it, and it's a beautiful photo. And it, But what I love about the photo is it's about, a, I don't know, 50-pound cod or so, you know, just a little one. And um, he's just showing you how to hold it. You know, don't lift them by the jaw, don't break all their gill membrane and kill them, you know, cradle them, leave them in the water, and uh, this is fantastic to see, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's a great point too, Scotty. I think um, that's one of the key points that Lubin will be talking about on the night as well is how to handle these big fish because particularly people that are new to cod fishing and don't have a lot of experience, you know, it, it's a really critical part of the, I guess, the whole experience is, you know, how to handle these fish and, and how to handle them properly and get them back in the water so they do survive for someone else to catch because, they are an extremely large animal. They're extremely powerful, and and we can, you know, um, cause them serious damage if we don't handle them properly. So I think that's a really important part of, of the whole, I guess, whole experience and the whole process is that you know we do treat the fish with as much respect and handle them as, as best we can. And and there's a there's a bit in that, you know, they are such a big animal and, and take a bit of wrangling and and um, you know, we we need to be conscious of that and and um, know what we're doing with these fish before we go out and target them. So. That'll be a really key part of the night and, um, yeah, a really critical point, I guess, to make as well. It's the Fish Focus Community Night in, in Wagga Wagga at the uh, the Thirsty Crow Brewery. And uh, every everyone's invited, though you have to go to Ozfish Unlimited and uh, register because it'll sell out very, very quickly. And speaking about habitat, Luke, the Windburndale uh, Macquarie Perch reintroduction into the river of their name, the Macquarie How's that going? It was a great report on Landline, wasn't it? And there's a 14-minute a version of that. It's such a fabulous example of, of local people, the, the local acclimatisation community, the, the local fisher folk, the, the waterways people, all coming together to uh, re-establish a population of Macquarie perch in uh, their once thriving community. Yeah, yeah. So... Really excited, Scotty. We've been back up and, and done our next round of releases of Macquarie perch into the Windmendale uh, system. Only uh, the last couple of months, and we've sampled, uh, we've seen and surveyed our population there, and really happy and excited to report that they're going better than expected. 
Um, so we released a, another batch of fish into the system, but before we did that, we sampled both the, the stream and the dam we've been releasing the fish into and got, um, you know, really, really good numbers of fish in there. So we've got um, you know, the fish that we've released over the last two years. We've got both of those um, cohorts surviving and in really good numbers. You know, we've got many more fish than I'd expected to get up there and the, and the fish are looking amazing. They're in really great condition um, and, you know, we're fingers crossed in the next couple of years we'll see some recruitment and those fish start to breed in that system so yeah really really excited and a really great result you know, much much better survival and the fish are looking much better than we'd anticipated there so yeah it, it exceeded our expectations to date so I'm um, fingers crossed they'll continue to do really well there and, and the ones that we've released in there this year will hopefully do as well as the ones that we've released in the previous years and look forward to hopefully finding recruitment there in the next couple of years and um, seeing establishment of a self-sustaining population of Macquarie perch back in the Macquarie catchment. Eventually, you know, hopefully one day we'll be able to target them again as wreck anglers. You know, they're an amazing fish. They're really, really different than anything else in Australia and, and in the world. You know, they're an extremely unique fish and, um, you know, we're historically, you know, highly revered as a sport and, and table fish and, and hopefully, you know, Hopefully one day we can, you know, return to those glory days and, and see these fish being targeted by rack anglers and enjoyed by the community more widely, I guess. Uh, we'll see you next Thursday, uh, Thursday the 30th, or this Thursday coming at the uh, Thirsty Crow at the big uh, fishing uh, information night on the, uh, on the Murrumbidgee, on how to fish the Murrumbidgee. So should be fantastic. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Scotty. <laughs> Fishing last Sunday and I caught a smelt Put him in the pan and the fire he felt Of all the smells I ever smelt Well? I never smelt a smelt like that smell smelt As the salmon swam up the river to spawn yeah. He said to himself with a great big yawn ho, ho. The next time I come up this way I'm gonna make the trip in a Chevrolet oh, ho. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.